Let's uh, pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the anointing and giving me utterance. Father, as we set our faith in agreement to hear from you today, I thank you for showing up and getting us answers to questions, helping us make course corrections in life, and give each individual rhema uh, exactly what they need to hear uh, at the time that they need to hear. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Zoe, the life of God, part 14. Go to the first one for me, man. We saw this in 1 John 5, and verse 11. It says, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. As we saw that that was past tense. Go to the next one. We saw that there's three kinds of life uh, uh, in the Greek New Testament. In the English Bible, it only says life. The three Greek words are bios, which is natural life. Suke, which is your soul, your mind, will, and emotions. Uh, that's your, uh, it's immortal. It means your soul will not die off. It separates us from the animal kingdom. But it is what it is. It doesn't, it's not new. Uh, we have to make that new. It doesn't automatic. Zoe, the life of God, we saw is eternal. That's perpetual, instantly and constantly new, and that resides in our spirit. And, uh, you know, we don't have to do anything with that one. It's automatically brand new every second. That's kind of like the lazy man's life. You know what I mean? We don't have to do anything. But in order to enjoy it in our body and then to enjoy it in our mind, will, and emotions, we've got to do something with our body and we've got to do something with our mind, will, and emotions or our soul. That part is up to us. Okay? Go to the next one. We saw in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 10, it says, It's always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the zoe also of Jesus, might be made manifest in our body. So here, we, I keep putting this scripture in here so that you'll see that I'm not just making it up that, and there's some people that will grab onto this part of it and nothing else, and they'll think, well, how could we have the life of Jesus? This scripture clearly says that we could have the life of Jesus right now, doesn't it? That's why I keep putting it in here. But it says it might be made manifest in our body, which means it also might not be made manifest in our body. And most Christians live in might not. So what we've been trying to do is shift ourselves from in the might not category into the might. Right? Okay, so go to the next one. We saw this. We've been working on this. Uh, Peter lays out nine things for us uh, to do and, and to be aware of and to practice in order that we would have the life of Jesus be made manifest in our body. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So we saw this, that grace and peace, if you want peace in your life and you want favor in your life, the way to get it multiplied unto you is not going to self-help courses, right? Not burning incense, not going to the spa. That might help for a few minutes, but it's not going to be multiplied unto you, right? The way to get it multiplied unto you is through the knowledge, intimate knowledge of God, His character, how he acts, uh, what he thinks, what he feels, right? Because God, we're built in his image, so think about this. However you are in life, God has that same stuff built in him. However you, like if you expect somebody to be somewhere, right, when they tell you to be somewhere, God would expect the same thing out of you. Don't you expect it out of God for him to show up on time? I do. If he doesn't, I get kind of torqued. Don't you? Amen. I know that. Okay, go to the next one. It says, according to his divine power, the Godhead's power, it says in the Greek, that he has given, past tense, unto us all things that pertain to life, zoe, and godliness, being just like him. And those things all come through the knowledge of him that called us unto glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. It says in the Greek, equal partners of the Godhead. But either way you want to do it, say it, you get the DNA of God on the inside of you. He brings you up to His level, and now you're a God-like being. Right? We see that? Okay. And we have the ability to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Go to the next one. Besides this, besides these great and precious promises, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and patience godliness, and godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity, which is agape. For if these nine things be in you, I added nine, right, because that's how many there are. If these nine things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, knowledge is the thing that gets you grace and peace multiplied unto you. Knowledge is the thing that gives you all the equipment of Zoe, right, and godliness, being just like God. He said, if you do these nine things, you're going to, uh, your knowledge is going to produce for you. And it's going to produce life and godliness, being just like God. Go to the next one. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. See, if you don't stay on top of these nine things, what will happen is you'll forget that you're an equal partner with the Godhead. You'll forget that you're a godlike being. And, 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 and hell and your own mind and your relatives and your friends all remind you everything that you did wrong. They will. They'll take the opportunity to be like, well, you know, you don't deserve that. Who do you think you are that you should have riches, honor, and life? Why should God heal you? Why should God bless you? You know how you are. You know why they're saying that? Because they don't believe that they are deserving of, or that they are equal partners of, or that they could get healed. Or that they, and, and what makes you think you're better than them? We both love God. Well, the difference is, I do these nine things. You don't, so you don't get it. It's available to you. God's already given it to you, but you don't cooperate with it. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, giving diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you'll never fall. And it says in the Greek, you won't fall, fail, or stumble. Okay, go to the next one. He said, For thus richly shall be supplied unto you the entrance into the eternal kingdom of Jesus our Savior. Now, listen, when you do these nine things, it's the gateway to walking into where Jesus is reigning and ruling. How I many know in there there's no, you know, uh, there's no corruption in Jesus' kingdom? You understand that? There, there's nobody getting railroaded. Nobody's getting ripped off. The tax man ain't going to take your stuff. Your houses ain't getting repossessed. There isn't any cancer. There's no sickness. There's no AIDS. There's no staph virus that can't be treated by drugs or anything else that everybody wants you to go screaming into the night with your hair on fire going, ah, about. In the kingdom, none of that. Okay? Go to the next one. This is so Peter, because of that, Peter says, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these nine things. Now, let me ask you if, you, if you were sitting under a minister that didn't put you in remembrance of these nine things, would he be negligent? According to this, he would be. I mean, these things that we're talking about, sometimes, they, not sometimes, they do hurt a little bit when we look at what they really are. And then we take an honest assessment in our life. But I'd be negligent if I didn't put us in remembrance of these nine things. Because you know why? I'd be hurting you. I'd be keeping you from getting all the stuff that God's already given to you. Just because we don't want, you know, necessarily want to hear it on the front end, hate me on the back end. When you get all the stuff, then hate me. Okay? Why are you saying that, Andrew? Ooh, I wonder why. <laughs> Though you know them and you be established in present truth, well, I can't wait till the second half. Right? That's what you're all thinking right now, isn't it? No, you're not. Okay. Yeah, I think it is me to write as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Listen. If we keep going over the same stuff over and over again and you're like, I already know that, there's a reason why we keep going over it. Why? Because I'd be negligent if we didn't. Because these nine things, if you get them down, guess what? You're there. You got everything. I mean, if you're going to be just like God and have the same life of Jesus manifested in your body, aren't you there? We're not. I mean, Jesus ain't lacking one thing, is he? He no. So let's stay. You know, remind ourselves of these things, even though we know them. 
He said, even though you're established in them. Because you know what? If you, that's why when I say, say the Ephesians prayer, that you read it. Because then after a little while, you'll start deviating a word here and a word there. And pretty soon, six months down the road, you're not praying the word at all. You're praying the stuff that you deviated off of. So what this, we're doing is just trying to, you know, oh, yep, I'm back on, you know, oh, yep, I'm right on target. Oh, yeah, I'm right on target. So if you're right on target, you should be like, yeah, I'm on target. If you're not, then you go, oh, I just made a course correction here. Not get mad about it, not get upset about it, just make the course correction, right? Okay, go to the next one. Here's these nine things. We started off, it says in verse 5, beside this, giving all diligence. Remember that? Go to the next one, Mandy. We saw that diligence is this, to be attentive and persistent in doing a thing, steadily applied force is active, unremitting, untiring, constancy of effort, speed and earnestness, and meticulous attention to detail. The opposite of that is, and, and you take the assessment, am I being lazy? Am I being careless in what I'm doing? Am I being lethargic? Am I indifferent? I just don't care. Apathetic? And then we saw that Jesus equated faithfulness and diligence as the same thing. He said they're the same thing. Okay, go to the next one. We saw this in Luke 16.10. He said, he that's faithful in least will also be faithful in much. And he that is unjust in least will be unjust in much. And we saw this, that you know you can't be faithful and diligent in everything. We don't have time for that. Do you have enough time to be diligent in everything? We don't. So this verse, man, this helps me out because now it gives me uh, a scale on how to, what do I pick and prioritize to be diligent in? Because if I'm, if I'm sitting in a room with Jesus having Snickers and a coffee, right? could I justify to him what I'm being faithful in? Not anybody else. I don't really care about anybody else. I don't have to justify. You don't have to justify what you do to me or your spouse or anybody else, right? Because guess, at the final thing, guess who's going to, you're going to have to justify yourself to? You're right. So, so imagine yourself in a room with Jesus having Snickers and a coffee, and he says, were you faithful in this? You're like, yeah, and you know what? I could justify being faithful in that. He said, what about this? Well, no, I couldn't justify being faithful in that, so I need to cut that one back and add that diligence and that time that I'm being diligent to something else. Okay? Go to the next one. We saw, like, giving all diligence add to your faith, and we saw that faith was, go to the next one for me, man, absolute certainty and trustworthiness in another. And I said it should be God, because how many know, you ever heard this? Well, you never know what God's going to do. You ever thought that? Uh, sometimes I've thought that. Well... What are you going to do, God? Right? Just being honest and transparent with you. Right? Because I'm not, I don't have absolute trust in God all the time. Do you? Anybody that tells you they do, they're lying. Amen. I know that's right. Because you know what? I can, I can real fast put you, turn up the heat on your life and find out how quick you'll be like, just like Job. Everything, when it's all good, we're all good. As soon as the heat gets turned up, he said he didn't sin, but he wasn't really happy either, was he? He was saying, oh God, where are you? How come this happened? Right? right? Okay. And it wasn't God at all. He, he, whoop, he misdirected what was going on. It was Satan that was doing it to him. You all remember that? It wasn't God at all. Okay, so we saw the opposite of faith is that you have disbelief or distrust, doubt, misgiving. You're skeptical. You're suspicious. You're uncertain to be unsure. You know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. It's not in the Bible. Okay? If you're skeptical that healing belongs to you, you're skeptical that you would have what my denominational friends called earthly riches. Like, is there another kind? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I haven't seen any. Have you? you that's the kind you can spend, right? right? So if you're skeptical that you wouldn't have any earthly quote-quote riches, no, that's the Bible. But see, we're skeptical of it, then guess what? We're not in faith. Go to the next one. And we saw this, that but without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder, giver of cash for free, to them that diligently seek or crave Him. 
And most of the body of Christ, they cut out that little thing about that he's a rewarder and they stick with, I believe that God is and that i got to diligently seek him. And that's as far as they go and they cut out the good part. I mean, that does not please God. Do, do you all understand that? They, take him at his word. That's the whole thing about trust. We just don't really believe that God's a rewarder, a guy who gives cash for free to those that crave him. Well, how do you know that, Andrew? Because if we believed it, we would all be craving him all the time because that's where the free cash is coming from. All right, go to the next one. We saw this in Psalm 31 and verse 23, that, O oh, oh, love the Lord, all ye saints. So born again, being a saint, that's the first level. He said, for the Lord preserves the faithful. So if you're faithful and diligent, you get the protection. Right? And he plentifully rewards the proud doer. So you see the three levels, saints, faithful, and the proud doer. The proud doer is the one that gets the reward, and a big one. So how do you know if someone's a proud doer or not? Look at their reward. Okay, go to the next one. Numbers 13, we saw this. Um, when the children of Israel went out and spied the land, and when they came back, and uh, remember there was two good spies, Joshua and Caleb, and ten were bad, and they gave that bad report. And, and, and so right after they gave the report saying, we can't do it, and oh, it's so big, and oh, it's so bad, and oh, it's so scary, right? In uh, verse 30 of Numbers 13, and Caleb, he stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up and once and possess it, for God is able to overcome them. Is that what he said? No, he said, we are well able to do it. We are, we are, we are. And then and go to the next one, and when all the people said, we be not able to go up against the people because they're stronger than we. Now we saw this, this goes hand in hand with faith. It's not that they didn't believe God couldn't do it, they didn't believe they could do what God told them they could do. So go to the next one. So they needed to add to their faith virtue or valor. Go to the next one, Mandy. And we saw that valor was this, courage, boldness, bravery, and fearless, especially in time of battle. And we saw that courage was not that you didn't have fear, it was the ability to dominate your fear and go forward and do what God told you to do. And the opposite of that would be cowardice. Be fearful, timid, faint-hearted. If you're shy, if you retreat. If we don't retreat, we don't back off anything. Okay? That's valor. God told you something, then we don't back off of it. Amen. Right? I'm not backing off riches on and life. I don't care what my life looks like. I don't care what my bank account looks like. I don't care what it looks like. I ain't backing off of it. Alright? Okay, go to the next one. We saw this in Joshua 14. 45 years after that, right? We're going to pick up the story with Caleb again in verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord, Caleb said, has kept me alive these 40 and 5 years. Ever since the Lord spoke the word unto Moses and the children of Israel, they wandered around in the wilderness, and now, lo, I'm this day 85 years old. Go to the next one. And as yet, I'm still strong this day as I was in that day, as Moses sent me. Isn't that great? You know what? I like getting older. You know, on the track that I'm at, by the time I'm 85, I'm going to be a supermodel. See, because the longer I go, the competition is, it's easier competition. When I'm 85, if I look like this, I'm a supermodel with everybody else that's 85. You know what I'm saying? I can't wait. Keep going. Keep clock. Keep rolling. Because Zoe, is, I'm, I'm, it's easier. The further I go, the better looking I get, especially in my age group. Right? right? It's the truth. I saw a guy the other day, he's my age. He looked like he was 20 years older than me. I like to hang out with him. Because <laughs> I look better. I feel better. It's funny, but it's true. Right? This is what happened to Caleb. Right? I'm 85, I'm just as strong as I was when I'm 40. Caleb's a supermodel now. You know? right? He said, in case you didn't know, my strength was in that day, and it's for war. 
In case you didn't think you know what I'm talking about, it's not that I can you know, go up and down the stairs without a walker. No, I can go to war, hand-to-hand combat, both go in and come out. He said, now therefore give me this mountain that the Lord spake to me in the day, for you heard in that day how the Anamakims, the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. So if the Lord be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Now, here's God's, here's, God's end, here's God's end of the deal. You can do it and go do it. It's yours. Now, he's done. He ain't doing nothing else. So all you've got to do is decide is what he said is true. If it's true, then Caleb decided it was. He said, I'm well able to drive them out. But notice that he did not go in until he knew what he was getting into. Right? You see that? He gave an intel report. He knew who was there. He knew what their cities looked like. He knew what their defenses were. So we said this. Go to the next one. That besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue or valor, and to your valor, knowledge. You don't want to go running into anything if you don't know anything about it. I almost said know nothing about it, right? Which I normally would have, but I'm trying to you know, correct my grammar. So listen, you don't want to get into something that you don't know anything about. You all follow that? Even if God told you it's yours, He told you go get it, and you're like, giddy up, let's go. You better hang on just a second and find out about what you're getting into. Amen. This is practical. We saw this at knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge is science. It's information, especially that gained through observation, identification, description, investigation, experience, and explanation. Did you notice that all those things were verbs? They require action on our part to get information. Did you see that? You've got to observe something. You've got to identify something. You should describe something. You should investigate something. You've got to experience it or have somebody explain it to you, which means you've got to go find somebody who knows what they're talking about. Don't let somebody explain something to you that don't know what they're talking about. You might want to verify their credentials before you take their quote, quote, word for whatever. You all following this? Okay. So we said the opposite of this is ignorance. If you're unaware, incomprehension. If you, listen... If you find yourself where you don't know stuff, you better stop and quit going forward. If you're unaware of something, then you find out that you were unaware of something, you better stop. If you don't understand something, incomprehension, you better stop. Right? And because what it does, it produces incapacity or puts you in a position of weakness. You you all following with this? So, go to the next one. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. It's the parable of the talents. Now, I want to look at this again because there's something in here that Jesus said that triggered off this whole thing about knowledge in, in, on the inside of me. So Matthew 25 and verse 14. i got to catch up. I told Kimmy last week I went through the whole service didn't look at my notes one time. I'm going to try not to do that this week. Why do I make them then if I'm not going to use them, right? Okay, so Matthew 25 and verse 14 says this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and he delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents. Now you remember with the talents, right? We said a talent was 6,000 drachmas and back in the day, one drachma was the average day's wages. So let's say that you worked 300 days out of the year, you know, with weekends or whatever and holidays. That's 20 years worth of wages, one talent. So he gave this guy... Right? A hundred years worth of wages. I like that, right? In one day. He gave it to him. A hundred years. And then, to another one, he gave two talents or forty years worth of wages. That's pretty good too, isn't it? And to another one, he gave twenty years worth of wages. 
Now, for years, this has been taught like, well, we just can't know why God does. He just must look like one guy better than the other guy. Why did he give one five, one, one two, and one one? How did he decide on that? How did he give them to? According to what? Every man's several ability. He gave these guys according to their own abilities, right? Old English would be several ability, but how about that's plural? You know that? He gave them according to their abilities. Now, if I'm the guy at the bottom edge of the totem pole and I don't really have many abilities, I'm still happy with 20 years' wages. I got to tell you, I'd be happy right now if someone came up to me and said, Here, here's 20 years' worth of wages, uh, average wages for the day. Whatever a yearly salary was, times 20, and they handed it to me and said, here you go. I'm woohoo. And if he gave somebody else 40 and another 100, I ain't worrying about them guys. I'm happy with my 20. But if you weren't happy with your 20 and you're like, how come he got 40? You know, why did he get a bigger piece of pie than I did? Anybody have brothers and sisters when they get the bigger pie and cut the pie? No, you're right. Well, it's because of the several abilities. It's because his abilities must be more than mine according to the Lord. And the guy that got 100 years worth of wages, his abilities must be even far greater than that. Mm-hmm. And then they prove that that's true. Because look in the next verse. Go to the next one, man. And then he that received five talents in verse 16 went and traded. He did commerce with those same five talents. He took his 100 years wages and he went to work with them. And he made another 100 years wages. I mean, that ain't bad, is it? Now he's got 200 years worth of wages. He's got some talent, doesn't he? He's got ten of them now, don't he? Right? But look, and likewise, he that received two, he went and did it. The guy that received 40 years wages, he went out and did commerce, and he got two more. So he's got 80 years worth of wages. Not a bad day. And, and, and then the last guy, he received one, went out, and he digged the earth, and he hid his money. It says he hid his Lord's money. Doofus didn't even know it was his. If somebody gives it to you, isn't it yours? His abilities were like zipping up. He shouldn't even have got the 20 years, I don't think. What's the point? He didn't even spend it, big dummy. He went and dug it up in the earth and put it in a mason jar. So here's the question is, what is it and what can I do to increase my abilities? I mean, you don't want to be the guy with the 20 years wages. You want to know why? Because all he did is dig it in the ground and did nothing with it. You don't want to be that guy. I mean, we would be happy with 20 years' wages, but that guy, the guy that gets 20 years' wages, is somebody that doesn't have the ability to do anything but dig a hole and put it in a mason jar. So how, right, how can we increase our own abilities so that we can move up? Because I want more. Don't you want more? I want more than I've got right now. How can I increase my abilities? Because I know that increasing my abilities, according to what Jesus said in this parable, will increase what I have in my life. Go to the next one. We saw this last week in Exodus 35. I want to look at this again because here is the key on how do we increase our abilities. Exodus 35 and verse 30. Now, I told you a little bit last week, background check, right? Was Moses is coming down out of the mountain and they're fixed. He's got the uh, instructions on building the tabernacle and they're going to start Judaism. It wasn't started yet and we're going to start this new religion and so here's the, the first you know, uh, uh, worship center for Jehovah, okay? So Moses comes down to the children of Israel and he said, See, the Lord hath called by name. So he gave them the instructions and now he's telling them, Here's the deal. He hath called by name Bazaleel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And so in case there was any, uh, which, how many Bazaleels there were, we know which, exactly which one it was because he took it all the way down to who it was, okay? Now, how, wouldn't you like if, well, I mean, how cool is that? 
Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments. He's getting the instructions for all this stuff. He's getting all the covenant. And God says the name of you. Why is he talking to Moses? Wouldn't that be a, what a great deal? And he don't, you don't know nothing about it. God's talking about it. When you come down, Moses said, yeah, God called you in front of everybody by name. You're in charge. Right? Well, how come that guy is so special? Does God just like that guy better? No, it would be according to his what? Abilities. Wouldn't it? We know that that's God's character. Jesus just told us that story. See, on the front end of this story in Exodus, they didn't know that. But we know it now because Jesus explained it to us. How does God pick and put people in charge? According to their... This is huge. Because all of my life in the kingdom, well, I don't know why God raises up one and drops another. I've just heard that He does. Haven't you? God will raise up whoever, you know, and put in positions of promotion, and promotion comes from the Lord. Well, how do, what's his, no one told me what his promotion system looks like. How do I get promoted then? Now, you guys ever think about that? That God just likes one person better? Why does somebody do good in life and somebody doesn't who are in the covenant? Why nobody explained this to me before? It's right there in the Bible that God raises up people and he sets them in positions according to their abilities. So how do I get to be the guy that God says, calling me by name and says, you're in charge. I want to know how do I get to be that guy. Because I'm not happy with being the guy that digs the money up and puts it in a mason jar in the backyard. Because you know what the end result was for that guy. He had what he had taken from him and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. He says, so uh, in verse 31, he said, so he, Basileel, hath filled him God filled Basileel with the Spirit of God. Did you see that? Now, these guys weren't born again. So he's not talking about being one spirit with the Lord because it couldn't be. Because they're a two-part being back then. You remember that? So what happened is the Spirit came up on him. Just like the Spirit came up on the priest and came up on the prophet and came up on the king. He has what the Bible calls the anointing. He was anointed to do the job. He had a supernatural, God showed up, and God's Spirit came up on him. Do you all see that? How do I get to be the guy that gets the Spirit of God to come up on me? I want to know. Because did God just like this guy better? I mean, what, what, was he wearing cool pajamas one day and God said, I really like your Superman underoos. Here comes, your, here comes the anointing. What is, how come no one's ever telling us this? So look, so I know that the God, the Spirit of God came upon him and he filled him with wisdom, that's skill in using knowledge. And understanding, that's how you understand the workings of things, right? How I understand, if I knew understand how a car would work, I could build one, take it down, refix it. And he filled him in knowledge, information, science, the workings of things. And in all manner of workmanship, and then look, he got creative too because he could devise curious works. He didn't just think in the box, just give me the plans. How many know because God's plans weren't that, they were detailed, but how many know you had to have an imagination and you had to be creative to make something out of just the plans? He could work in gold and silver and in brass. Go to the next one. And in the cutting of stones, this guy is Superman. And set them and in the carving of wood and to make any manner of cutting work. And he hath put in his heart that he may teach. Now he says he's going to teach other people. Both he and then he names another guy that God named out. Aholiab, the son of 
Ahismach, the tribe of Dan. So I'm, I'm sure there wasn't too many Ahismachs running around so we could figure out who that guy was, okay, if there was a bunch of Ahuliabs. Go to the next one. Them he hath filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work, the engraver, the cunning workman, the embroiderer in blue and in purple and scarlet and fine linen, and of the weaver, and even to them that do the work, and of those that devise cunning work, more creativity. They're going to teach all those people to do the stuff of making the tabernacle. These guys were slaves. They knew how to make bricks. That's it. Okay? Exodus 36 and verse 1. Then wrought, that means he worked, Basileel and Ohileab, and every wise-hearted man in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary according to what the Lord had commanded. So what? how did they work? They worked according to all of that wisdom and understanding and the know-how to do it. Do you see that? Who? What? It was those two guys, Basileel and Ohilohab, and every wise-hearted man. So, all right, now I'm, getting, I'm, I'm on the trail now. Now, I know that God picked these guys because they were wise-hearted men. And that wise-hearted men get the Spirit of God, the anointing to come up on them, and then He fills them supernaturally with wisdom and understanding and know-how to do the work. Are you seeing this? That's the next step, that you're a wise-hearted man. Well, what does that mean? What is a wise-hearted man? Great, Andrew, you're not helping me here too much. Well, hang on, we'll get there. Go to the next verse. Verse 2, And Moses called Basileel and Ahilohab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, even everyone whose heart stirred him up to come unto the work to do it. Full stop. Here is the answer of how you're going to raise your abilities. Here's the answer of what a wise-hearted man is. Here is how you're going to get the Spirit of God to come up on you and give you all the know-how and all the skill and all the information that you need to do. It's because your heart stirred you up. If your heart don't stir you up, you ain't getting the knowledge. Think about that in anything in life. If your heart isn't stirred up, to learn anything about football, you probably won't watch it. Is that right? My heart, no matter how hard Jennings and Doug try, doesn't stir me up to play golf. So I'm not, I don't really know a lot about the game. Their heart stirs them up. One night I was over at Jennings' house and we were watching The Science of Golf. It's a show where they're telling you all about the technology of, you know, they got computer models and wind tunnels and everything. I'm like, NASCAR, yeah, I can understand a wind tunnel for NASCAR, but for golf? I mean, come on, right? You know what? My heart doesn't stir me up to know about golf. It stirs me up to know about NASCAR or whatever. Put the thing in that you know that you like to do. It's your passion. Do you all follow on this? Now, if you're not hungry, isn't that really what your heart's stirring up, is that you have a hunger for something. If you ain't hungry for something, you're not going to go after it. If you're hungry for food, you're going to go get food. Right? If you're hungry for information on something, if you're hungry to do something with your life, you're going to follow that out. Now, I know people that they say they're hungry for something and they'll start out for something, but they're really not hungry. So as soon as their little craving gets fulfilled, now I'm satisfied, they'll leave it off. 
and they'll never they'll never hone in on one thing. We'll call it like what jack of all trades, master of none, or whatever. Do you all know what I'm saying? Do you know people like that? That they're really not hungry for anything except their couch and a remote. I mean, you know, you're now in that you're in that twenty years wages guys digging the hole in the back and putting it in the mason jar. It's not that God doesn't like you, God loves you the same. If you're that person. If you're the couch potato person. God doesn't love you any different. You're not any less have the life of God on the inside of you. You're not any less have all these things for life and godliness. Any less an equal partner of the Godhead. Why does God raise up one and not raise up another? Are, are you, what is your heart stirring you up to do? Because if your heart ain't stirred, if you ain't hungry for something, I mean, no, God's not going to shove it down your throat. If you're not hungry for information and knowledge and you're not hungry to do something in your life, you can sit there on the couch. He's not going to shove it down your throat. It's not a mystery why some people do good in the covenant and in life and some people don't. If we don't want to say that, though, because it doesn't make us feel good. Right? But I'd be, as a minister, negligent not to put you in remembrance of these things even if you never heard them before. I'm going to tell them to you now. And guess what? This ain't going to be the last time we talk about this. Because if your heart isn't stirring you up... Now look, did it stir them up to know how to do the work? It stirred them up to come do the work. Did you see the difference? Because I know there's a lot of people I know that they want to know how to do stuff, but they don't really care about doing the work. So your heart is not stirring you up just to know something. It's stirring you up to come do the work. And here's the thing is your heart will have to stir you up to come do what you don't know to do, and that's when God will show up and make sure that you get the knowledge, either through supernaturally putting it on inside of you, like Basileel and Ahiloab. Or he'll bring along a Basileel to teach you what you need to know. But not until your heart stirs you up and you get up off the couch and come do the work, even though you don't know it. Do you all follow this? And this is why the guy with the five talents got the five talents. Because his heart stirred him up to go do something. You all follow that? So if you, your heart doesn't stir you up to do any work, there's no anointing for you. There's no Spirit of God coming up on you. Is the Holy Spirit mixed with your spirit? Yup. But He ain't coming up on you and bringing that knowledge with it and that understanding and that wisdom and going to put it in you. You can sit on the couch and have a nice life. Dig up your little hole. And at the end of the deal, He's going to say, Depart from me, you lazy butt servant. That's Andrew's translation. He said, wicked and slothful. Alright, go to the next one. Now, watch this. Because it don't just stop with, I stirred my heart, now what? Right? Isaiah 5 and verse 13 says this, I want to show out to you what will happen if you don't stir your heart up, and I want to show you what happens when you do stir your heart up. Therefore, Isaiah 5 and verse 13 says, my people are gone into what? Captivity. Isn't that bondage? Yeah, my people are going into captivity because why? Because they have no knowledge. Did they go into captivity because they didn't, they didn't love me, God said? What? Because they weren't my people? Did they go into captivity because they weren't His people? Did they go into captivity because they were evil people? Well, what is it that got them into bondage, into captivity? Was that they had no knowledge. And they're honorable men. They're, they're, it's really it's the word kabod in the Hebrew. It's the glory, the men of glory. 
the men of glory, the ones that have wealth and entourage and power, you know, the top guys in the nation, they're famished. And their multitude is dried up with thirst. If you're famished and your multitude is dried up with thirst, if you're all around you you're, and you're in captivity, it's because your heart did not stir you up. It's not because God put you there. Do you all follow this? God is not beating you up and bringing you down and kicking your tail and, and, and He's not bringing adversity. He's not bringing affliction. He's not bringing calamity on you. If you're in bondage and you're in captivity and you're in a bad spot, you're in a tight spot, we're in a tight spot, oh, we're in a tight spot, it ain't coming from God. It's because you don't have any knowledge. And the reason you don't have knowledge is because your heart didn't stir you up to come do any work. Now look over here in James real quick because I want to show you that in the Scripture before we hit the next one. James 1. We'll start in verse uh, 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, or it says in the Greek, trials, tests in life. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of Zoe, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Now, do you get the rewards of Zoe some great time in the future or just when you pass whatever test is in front of you? You see that? As soon as the test comes, as soon as the trial comes, he says, and when you're tried and you beat that, then you get the crown of life. You get the crown of Zoe. You get another jewel. Y'all following that? Not trying to get hokey. Look, the rewards are not when you get to heaven. It's as soon as you get past this one. Let no man say when he is tempted or tried, I am tempted or tried by who? God. For God cannot try or tempt anyone with evil. And you all know what evil is. If you think it's cussing, drinking, smoking, or chewing, this verse will not make any sense to you. But when you understand that evil is adversity, affliction, calamity, and worry, and great grief, and sorrow, and trouble, and wrong then when that stuff happens in your life, you don't have to be cussing, drinking, smoking, or chewing to have stuff go wrong in your life, do you? No. And then don't be, and so because you ain't cussing, drinking, or smoking, or chewing, religion has taught you that you're not doing evil when your life is full of evil, and then you blame God for this list of garbage in your life. Y'all follow that? He said, don't blame that on God. It ain't on Him. He didn't do it. I'm just reading the Bible, aren't I? He said, don't say that, because not only can He not tempt any man with evil, or he neither, or he, not only can He not be tempted with evil, so you can't, you know, get God into coming into adversity. It doesn't flip his happy switch. He says he doesn't do that to any man. Right? Neither tempts he any man. For every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Do you all remember from the conscience series that the voice of the Spirit is the conscience and the voice of the flesh is lust? Do you all remember that? So go ahead and live your life according to the voice of your flesh and it will draw you into adversity and affliction and calamity and worry. It didn't come from God. It came because you listened to and were enticed by the voice of your flesh, not the voice of your spirit. The voice of your flesh will never stir your heart up to do work. Will it? No. Mine don't. That's why I dominate my flesh. Because if I didn't dominate it, 
I'd be on the couch with a bag of Cheetos and the remote control right now. So don't be blaming God if you don't have knowledge and you're in captivity. It's because you were drawn away by the voice of your flesh and you followed that one. He said, and when lust, when the voice of your flesh is conceived, it brings forth sin. And remember, sin is missing the mark or settling for less than God's perfect will, which I know is riches, honor, and life. Your voice of your flesh will always take the easy way out and is more than willing to settle for less. Oh, I'll take the deal. Whatever's real quick right now to get this off my plate. He said, and sin, when settling for less is finished with you, it brings forth death. So do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness or shadow of turning. Listen, God ain't good looking in the dark and then when you turn the lights on, oh, he's hideous. I know people, they, got, they hooked up, that's why they keep the lights down low in nightclubs, right? Because she'd be looking good until morning comes. Ah! God ain't like that. Every good and perfect gift. Listen, if you're in bondage and you're in captivity, it's because you have no knowledge. And because you have no knowledge, it's on you because your heart didn't stir you up because you listened to the voice of your flesh. Now, now go to the next one because I'll, I'll hammer it home. Hosea 4 and verse 6. We quote the first phrase, but we always leave off the rest of this verse. Hosea 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now, whose fault is it? Why do they not have knowledge? Because what? Because they have rejected knowledge. And what's God say? I'll also what? Oh, we don't like to hear that. What do you mean God will reject me if I reject knowledge? If my heart doesn't stir me up to come do work, and that's what he's saying is I don't have knowledge and I'm in captivity because I rejected it. It's not on him. He's really and willing and ready and waiting to dump it on you the second that your heart stirs you up. Holy Ghost is waiting right there for you. He ain't keeping any knowledge from you. If you don't have it, it's because you rejected it. And if you're in bondage, it's because you didn't have any. And you're destroyed because you don't have any, but it's because you rejected it. And then they'll be crying to God because He says, I reject you and you won't be a priest to me. That's pretty strong language, isn't it? I mean, you know, this written to us because who's you know we're all priests. They all weren't priests in the Old Testament. They had the chance to be and they rejected it. He said, and seeing that you have forgotten the law of God, also forget your children. I'm not just going to reject you. I'm going to reject your kids too. So if you don't want to stir yourself up to do any work for anything other than your kids, get up off the couch for them if you can't do it for you. You all seeing? I'm just reading the Bible now. I'm not, you know. Now look, I want to show you. I'll give you more than one Scripture. Where the Holy Ghost, what His job is, is to give you that knowledge and to teach it to you, and He's standing by, ready to give it to you at the second you stir yourself up. Is that alright? So I'm not just making this up. Right? Go to the next one, man. John 14 and verse 26. It's written in red in my Bible, so it must be Jesus talking. Right? But the Comforter, in case you didn't know who the Comforter was, He tells you which is the Holy Ghost. Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you how many things? That pretty much covers the whole thing, doesn't it? How much is he willing, ready, standing by? He's ready to teach you how many? 
Now look, Jesus said that. And for years, you know, I quote this. He's going to teach me all things and bring all things to my remembrance, whatever Jesus said unto me. How I many know I don't know all things? Do you? Then did Jesus lie? No, what he did was he said, that's his job. He's ready, willing, and waiting to teach you all things. Now, he ain't going to just fall on you. If you don't stir your heart up, and if you don't go after it to do the work, that's when he'll teach you all things. No matter what work it is that you stir yourself up to do, it says he will teach you what you need to know. Do you see this? Whatever you stir your heart up to do, he'll get the information. Now listen, don't go running off into battle and do use your valor till you have knowledge. That knowledge is coming from who? Who's going to get it to you? The Comforter is who? The Holy How does He speak to you? Oh my God, hearing God for myself. We did 26 weeks of that. Why did we do 26 weeks of that, Andrew, before we did this? Because that's what God told me. I'm really not that smart to figure it all out until I look back on it and go, Oh, I can't get Him to teach me all things until I know how He's talking to me. And if I don't listen to my conscience, I don't understand that my conscience is my co-perceiver, where I would perceive everything and have the ability to know everything that God knows. When my heart stirs me up to do whatever work that it's stirring me up to do, then I'll perceive in real life, real time, He'll teach me what I need to know. How many things? All things. Go to the next one. Two chapters later. Right? They're still in the upper room at the Last Supper. I guess they didn't hear it the first time, so Jesus is going to tell them again. It's written and read in my Bible, John 16 and verse 13. He said, how be it when He, who? The Spirit of truth is come. He will guide you. The Greek says, He will show you the way. Into how much truth? All truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he'll show you things to... If your heart don't stir you up, he's not, to do the work, he's not going to show you things to come, and he's not going to lead you in the way. Guiding you, showing you the way, means that you are moving. You don't need a guide from the couch. The only guide you would need is the one that comes on your remote so you could see guide you into the next show. The Holy Spirit's going to take you and show you the way by the hand, and then He'll show you, no, look out for that. No, look out for that. Here comes this. But He won't do any of that till your heart stirs you up. If you're wondering why He don't do any of that, it's because your heart probably hasn't stirred you up to do any work. If you're just waiting for it to fall on you, it ain't going to happen. Go to the next one. 1 John 2 and verse 27. But the anointing, now I know that this is the Holy Ghost because watch what this says that the anointing does. is the same thing that he just told us that the Holy Spirit did in the last two verses. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you and you need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teaches you how many things? And all things are what? And is what? Truth and is no lie even as it is taught, hath taught you you shall abide in him. The Holy Ghost is waiting to stand by and pour out. The anointing is just, you know, an old English word for when they anointed the king, they would take a big thing of oil and pour it over from the top of the head and it would just come down. That's how they would anoint and let everybody know that you were going to be king. Why, why can't you just stick the crown on my head? I don't know. It would be a lot less messy than pouring a gallon of olive oil on me, but that's what they did. So the Holy Spirit, the picture of this is that the Holy Spirit is standing there with this big giant jug, right, of knowledge, of information and understanding and wants to pour it right out on you. That's the picture. That's what the anointing is. It's not some hooky, cokey, kooky. You know, that's the picture he's trying to use. That I'm standing there with this bucket full of knowledge and information and wisdom and understanding and I'm ready to pour it on you so that you don't need any man to teach you. you y'all following that? Now, 
Come over here to Isaiah uh, 20, uh, 10 and verse 27. Because that reminds me of something. Another verse that is heavily quoted. Isaiah 10. And verse 27. It says, And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden, and it's the burden of Egypt, the burden of Midian, the burden of Moab, it's the burden of Assyria, it's the going to be the burden of Babylon. This is the, where these people are going into captivity. His burden shall be taken off away from you and off your shoulder, and his yoke shall be taken off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the... Uh, Anointing. Now, we just saw in Isaiah 5 and verse 13 that you went into captivity or bondage because of having no knowledge. And now I know that if my heart stirs me up that to do the work, the Holy Spirit or the anointing is going to come pour out on me so that I could have all the knowledge. And knowledge is what got me into captivity. And here I know that the anointing is what's going to break the yoke of bondage or captivity. So if you're in bondage and you're in captivity and you're just waiting for the anointing to fall on you and get you out of jail free, it ain't going to happen. How do you get the anointing to come on you? To get you out of captivity that got you there was having no knowledge. Is to stir up your heart to come do the work. Did I say it too fast? You got into captivity or bondage wherever you're at in life. If you're in bondage right now, it's because you had no knowledge. It's because you rejected knowledge. So he's standing by. It's the anointing I know. The Holy Spirit that will break the yoke of bondage and get me out of here. It ain't going to follow me until I stir up my heart to come do the work. If you're not stirred up and you're just going to lay on the couch and just be, oh, I'm in bondage, guess what? You're going to stay in bondage. And you know what? I don't care. I'm like the guy in the U.S. Marshals, right? What was that, Tommy Lee? Oh, no, whatever, you know, Harrison Ford, I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. If you don't, I don't care. Stay on the couch. I'm not going to call you until you get off the couch. I'm not going to stir your heart up to come do it. It's not my job to stir your heart up. Whose job is it to stir up your heart? Your own job to stir up your own heart. Come here and talk about this. You know what? I love you, but I don't care if you don't get riches, honor, and life. I'm getting mine. My heart's stirred up. If you don't want to stir your heart up, whatever. Love you. I got a thing. I really don't care. Look around today. How many hearts were stirred up to show up to find this out today? Just look around. Nobody. Hardly. Don't waste it. You showed up. You stirred your heart up enough to get here. It might be hard to take, but don't waste it. Right? Look over in Daniel 1. You understand this is not, I'm not talking about ministry, that we're talking about life, wherever your life is at. Because I'm going to show you right now, real life, real time. Here's guys that went off into captivity, right, because of the people they were with, the nation of Israel, and then the nation of Judah. Ha! But guess what? Their heart stirred them up. So, the anointing broke the yoke of bondage for them, so much so that these guys are now in charge. Well, how does that work? You took me away as a slave in a matter of three years, I'm in charge? And it wasn't had anything to do with God. 
as far as ministry or serving people. They were running a pagan empire. You couldn't get any further away from being with God and God people. They worshiped Murdoch, the sun god. Alright? Chapter 1 of uh, verse 1 of Daniel. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, came Ju- uh, the king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. And he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels of the treasure to the house of his God. So he took all the stuff out of the temple, all the gold cool stuff that was in the temple for worshiping God, and he brought it to his own God's temple. Does that sound like ministry to you? No, this is an evil guy, isn't it? He took the sacred stuff out of the temple in Jerusalem, and he put it in the sun God's temple back in Babylon. Abomination, maybe? Sure. And the king spake to Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So he tells the captain of his guard, he said, look, what I want you to do is go get all the royal kids. Right? Prince, what's, what's the, Prince William, Prince Harry, and all those guys. Go get the good ones and you bring them. We don't care about you know, the other ones. Give me the best. Children, here's, his, here's look at what they're looking for. Children in whom there was no blemish, They're well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding of what? Oh, covenant kids that understood science. Hmm. That don't fit in around here too good, does it? And such as had the ability in them. Did they have the ability? No, they had the potential. It says they had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldean. They're looking for people whose heart would stir them up to learn. Whose heart would stir them up to people who had potential. You all know people who have potential, right? It don't stop there. I'm glad you have potential, but let me know it don't, that's the starting point. If you have potential, good, you made it to the starting line. Potential is nothing until you develop it. So the king appointed them a daily provision from the king's meat. So he's feeding them. And of wine which they drank. So nourishing them three years. How long? So they're going to teach them and get them up in three years from being a kid of a captive nation to be able to stand in the king's palace with all the wise men, all of his advisors in three years. You're going to take a 15 or 16 year old, three years to make him 18 or 19, and now they're going to be telling the king what to do. Advising him. You all see that? And it's a pagan king. You remember the guy that took all the temple stuff and everybody, n- n- nothing to do with God. Right, y'all seeing that? Mm-hmm. Now, among these were children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave the names for Daniel, Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel prospered, or purposed, I'm sorry, Daniel purposed in his what? heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. So what does this look like a stirring my heart up in real life, real time? Dude's in bondage. He's getting carried away. Mama and daddy just got killed. Now they're taking me away to some pagan place and they're sending me to school. They're feeding me stuff that I don't eat because it's against Jewish dietary. It's blowing his whole covenant. And what did he do? He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So even 
in that spot. Because what are you going to do? We're in a tight spot. What work is he going to do? The only thing he could do is keep himself inside his covenant. By not eating the chow that the king's people brought him. That's the only thing he had in his hand to do was, I'm not going to defile my covenant. I'm not going to eat non-kosher stuff. That's all he had in his hand. Fifteen years old. So he didn't want to be purposed not to defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or the wine which they drank. He therefore requested... Now, you know, that had to stir up his heart. Now, this is going to take valor right here. To go to your captor and tell him, I don't want your chow. Give me something else. What? You know, we just killed your mom and daddy. He said, so he went to the prince of the union and said he might not defile himself. So he showed up. Now what happens? Now God shows up in the pagan land. And he brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who's appointed your meat and your drink. He said, this is, this is the diet that the king said you've got to have. For why you should see your face is worse liking than the children of your same sort. He said, the people that are going to eat good, you're not going to look so good. So why are you going to make me endanger my head to the king? And Daniel said, to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove your servants, I beseech you, ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. He said, we're going veggie. Vegan. We'll be vegans. Give us water and veggies. And then in ten days, see what happens. He's 15. Has God given him knowledge and understanding and wisdom on the fly? Yeah. Then let our countenance, then you look at us as, as before, and the countenance of the children that eat the king's meat, and then you can deal with us however it comes out. So the prince consented to them in this matter, and he proved them ten days. At the end of ten days, their countenances, their skin complexion, appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than the children who ate the king's meat. So now they're going to hate these guys because Melzar took away the portion of the king's meat and the wine and gave them pulse and water. Oh, good job, Daniel. Now you screwed all of us. <laughs> oh, somebody got to be holier than thou, right? Oh, I'm going to keep my covenant, keep my covenant. Now we're all drinking water and eating vegetables. Thanks. What was the end result of that? They beat them up in the barracks? No. And as for these four children, God gave them, who did? God did. Gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of visions and dreams. Now at the end of days, end of these three years. So that means they were in school for three years learning their stuff. They learned their lessons well. But you see, he went into this whole thing saying, I'm not going to defile myself. How many know the stuff that they were teaching him of the Chaldeans was a lot of astrology right, and zodiac and demonic stuff. These people, they don't believe in God. You, you all know that? You know, he didn't defile himself coming into it. I guarantee he didn't defile himself all the way through it. So is it possible for you to navigate a heathen, pagan, not godly society and win? Oh yeah. So here's the end of days. They bring him in to the king and the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 19, the king communed with them. So he sat down and had dinner, graduation dinner, right? And among them all, was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. He said, hey, I want to I talk to you guys privately. So he takes them in the back. 
and in all matters, how many matters? Of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers and all of them that were in his realm. Dude, he had Newt Gingrich and Colin Powell and Henry Kissinger, right, and all these foreign, you know, policy wonks and all these health domestic policy wonks and probably Rumsfeld was there and, right, Schwarzkopf. And here comes four 19-year-olds that are ten times better than the sharpest minds in the world. That just wasn't just, you know what? Four of those cats out of all of them, their hearts stirred them up to do what they could do to stay in their covenant. That's all the work that they could do. I mean, no, that was work to not eat what was put before you and say, oh, we just want water and veggies. And God poured out all of them ten times more information, ten times more understanding, ten times more wisdom and skill than the highest top paid wise men, quote, quote, in the world. 19 years old. So, listen. Were they on their way to captivity? Uh-huh. They had no knowledge. So they're in captivity. Did they get knowledge? Uh-huh. Their heart stirred them up. God got them knowledge. Guess what? They ain't in captivity. They're running the show. So don't be moo-hooing and whining about your little bondage about because whatever you're at in life. Because it ain't a worse. I guarantee what you got ain't worse than what Daniel had. Is it? Mom and daddy get killed. City's taken down. They take the stuff out of your temple. Or your covenant shot. They carry you off to a pagan land? No. So if your heart don't stir you up, it don't stir you up. I'm not going to do it. I'll teach all those that want your heart stirred. Those of you stir your heart up and you want to do the work, I'll work right there with you. But if your heart don't stir you up, I ain't going to cry about it. Don't get riches on life. But don't come crying to me. I'm serious about this. When your life has hit the fan because your heart didn't stir you up and now, oh God, pray for me and wave the magic wand and sprinkle the magic pixie dust and say in the name of Jesus 15 times so I can be, be, feel better. I'm not. This stuff is easy. God will show up and make it easy. The only thing that you've got to do is stir your heart up to do the work. But if you ain't hungry for the Word, if you're not hungry for God, because the first thing is, in order to hear from him, I've got to know how he talks to me. That's why we talked about that first, because God told me to. I'm not that smart, but that's real. I'm looking back on it. That's why we spent six months of this year talking about how does God talk to me and how can I hear it. Because now when it's time to go do work, I need to know that it is him talking to me and now I know how to get that information outside the covenant in real life, real time. When my conscience tells me don't do that one or do this one. Do you all follow this? And that will get you out of bondage. Whatever your captivity is. If you're feeling trapped in life, stir your heart up to get out of it. You, you, you all following that? Am I saying it too hard? I mean, what? riches, honor, and life is available for all of God. Doesn't like one better and not like. Why do some people get healed? Why some people don't? Well, I'll tell you what. The one every person that I've come across that got healed is because their heart stirred them up to find out when do exactly what I got to do to get healed. There's people in this church that have left bondage and captivity of where their family got to church and what they were taught in the past to come get healed because they knew I'm going to die if I stay here. You know, they would have died if they stayed there. I'm not, and you know what? There's a lot of people that will die staying where they're at. I'm not going to cry for you. Do you know that the Bible says don't? Samuel was crying for Saul. And, and God said, Samuel, what are you crying about? Oh, but Saul, he was a... No, he rejected me. 
I got another, you know, go, go anoint David. We got another thing. Well, we got to keep going. You know, sad for him, but don't cry over him. We got more stuff. We got more work to do. Go find the one that does want the anointing. Go find the one that wants me to pour out on him. Amen? Amen. All right, stand to your feet with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts. Bring it back to our remembrance in real life, real time. Father, when we absolutely, when we need it. Father, I thank you for showing up and being faithful and being on time every time, even when we're not faithful. I thank you, Father, for your love and your tender care and your mercy on each and every person in the covenant, Father. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.